If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 206 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks, and nothing but those Yanks, as always. I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the final day of December, and there by the final day of the year, 2023. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Gee whiz, Batman, it is December 30 freaking 1st. Holy crap! Damn straight, Frank Barone. You can join in on this too, why not? Good to have you here too, as always, giving us your iconic holy craps. Now for the final time in 2023. Well, I hope you all had a Merry Christmas, my friends, and a very Happy New Year tonight to each and every one of you. Please be safe. Don't do anything stupid, please. Do not put your own or even someone else's life in danger with irresponsible choices. Have fun, but please be safe. Cannot stress that enough, especially with this holiday. Of all the holidays throughout the entire calendar year, this is probably one of the most prevalent ones where people decide to do the stupidest of things, and I just urge you to please not join into that irresponsible group. Just please be safe. And here you are on the other side probably saying, All right, Dad. Hey, fair enough. But you know what? As a content creator... Just talking to lots of people out there, I just feel the need to say this because, uh, goes without saying, there are lots of morons roaming the earth with no regard for themselves or others, so feel the need to stress the importance of safety, but honestly though, it's so cool being here with you guys on New Year's Eve talking about our favorite subject, which could also be sometimes our least favorite subject, depending on what's happening with them, the Yankees, right here on the last day of the year. And lots of people would probably take off on a day such as this. Not I. No, sir. And I was saying this in past episodes recently, but I'm pretty sure in the four and a half years of this show, I have not gotten to do a New Year's Eve edition yet. Too exciting to pass up, so just figured I cannot take off this week, let alone the fact that I took off last week for Christmas Eve, which I feel is much more understandable given the context of the holiday and spending time with family and all that, but... Didn't want to miss yet another week in a row, but also I just figured I'd probably do an episode regardless on New Year's Eve, because just too cool to pass up. Finishing the year off right with a nice episode of Yapping Yankees here. So, guys, there's a lot to talk about today. <laughs> Lots has happened in the last two weeks since we last spoke on, what was it, December 17th? Yeah, come on, Mike, do some math. December 17th, two Sundays ago. Lots happened leading up to Christmas, beyond Christmas, and up to now. Lots of which a lot of people are not happy about, and I could understand that. I expected it. And it's majorly centered around a Japanese pitcher by the name of Yoshinobu Yamamoto. You might have heard of him. I don't really know from where, whether it be from here, social media, constant sports news, and the anticipation of him coming to this country. Who knows? Who knows where you might have heard him from? Regardless, though, a lot of it is centered around that. And the Yankees do have some news, minor news here and there, that has happened in the last two weeks that we will get to. Plenty of stuff to talk about. Also, some rule changes in Major League Baseball. Some more of those. As if more of those are necessary and we haven't already had enough. 
There is more of that. <laughs> and some speculating on where the Yankees really go from here. And I'm pretty sure you could guess if you haven't already seen it amongst the news, unless you're living under the biggest rock in the history of mankind. Pretty sure you know what happened with Yamamoto. And in that sense, because of that, the Yankees have to have another plan now, pretty much. I guess we'll start right there, since that's the biggest piece of news from the last two weeks, of course, I would say, throughout the entire baseball world. So I'd say that's a good launching point for today's episode right off the bat. And then we'll get to Yankees news because I'm not an idiot. I'm pretty sure a lot of people are coming here today to finally hear about my ultimate opinion and thoughts about the ultimate choice that Yamamoto ended up making. Pretty sure that's what 90% of people who usually listen to me are tuning in today to find out primarily first and foremost before anything else. Aside from wondering where I'm thinking the Yankees should go from here. So we'll start off with the Yamamoto stuff and then just continue on going. Today should not be too long of an episode, although I say that every damn episode and then it ends up being an hour plus, because that's just how I am. You cannot shut me up. But we will just do what we do every episode. Go with the flow, right? This should be interesting to start off. (laughs) The Yamamoto discussion. I have been both dreading this and been in high anticipation of it at the same time, if that makes sense. Kind of complicated. Because I have been eager to give my thoughts on this, and also I've been hesitant to talk about it, and not very eager to talk about it, because a lot of discussion going on around the Major League Baseball community, and even the Yankees community especially, given all the frustration, is a lot of toxicity and a lot of irrational discussion going on. And I'm usually one to avoid that sort of a thing, because I would much more prefer to have some level-headed discussion And yeah, you guys know me to get passionate. How many rants have I had on this podcast? I'd be hypocritical to say I never get passionate. But there's a difference between passion and complete irrationality. And the irrationality is where I usually shy away from and what I usually want little to nothing to do with. And there's been a lot of that going around the Major League Baseball community, clowning on the Yankee fan base, the Yankee fans turning on each other if you have differing opinions from the other one. It's just been chaos, as I'm sure you could imagine, as it always is when there's a hot topic like this, and it doesn't go the way that certain people want it to go. So, as we've all heard in the news, again, unless you are living under the biggest rock in the history of humankind, Yoshinobu Yamamoto is not a Yankee. As a matter of fact, he is staying closer to home. He is on the West Coast with... A Los Angeles team, and the one that you'd expect considering they seem to be acquiring just about every player under the sun these days. Yes, you guessed it. The Los Angeles freaking Dodgers. (laughs) So he signed a 12-year, 12 years, $325 million contract. Signed that with the Dodgers. On Thursday night... Of the 21st, on the winter solstice, this news hits our feeds. Yoshinobu Yamamoto is a Los Angeles Dodger for that unbelievable contract. Now, I predicted eight or nine years, somewhere in the range of 295 to 305. Well, this surpassed all of that. I was right about the time range that I thought it would happen in. From the last time we spoke, from the 17th, I said that I think it gets done before Christmas or Christmas Eve. So, at some point by the end of the weekend, or earlier, I saw it getting done. I did not see it going past Christmas. I was right in that sense. I was wrong about just about everything else. (laughs) 
uh, about the team that he was going to be headed to, the contract, length, money. I was wrong about all of it. I think most of us were, honestly. I'm pretty sure a decent amount of people might have had him going to the Dodgers, but I'm pretty sure nobody had 12 years. I don't think anybody had 325. And that's without the posting fees for the international free agents. We'll get to that in a second. But with this contract being official, in light of the official news of it happening, and him joining Shohei Otani on the Dodgers, which we'll also get to later, talking about the Dodgers' financial situation in light of this. Not that they very much care. It's evident that they don't right now, especially because of their deferral of money with the Otani contract and all their ways of beating around the bush with this whole situation. But anyway, in light of all this, this contract in its whole 12 years, 325, is now the largest contract for a pitcher in Major League Baseball history for someone who has not thrown a ball in this country yet. And I'm not actively using that against Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I'm just saying that in the grand scheme of things, being the largest contract in the history of this league when the pitcher has not thrown a pitch in said league as of yet, could open some eyes. (laughs) So, in light of this, the only contract that was around this and was the biggest one prior to this being officially signed, was Garrett Coles, which was nine years, 324, as we know. So this beat it, on the whole, by one million, beating Garrett Coles' contract, who just came off of winning a Cy Young Award in this league, by the way, and is easily one of the top arms in the entire world. He is now getting paid more than him. And I mentioned the posting fee before. Well, here it is. The posting fee, $50.6 million. So the total outlay of the contract, if you factor in the posting fee, is 12 years, 375. So if you want to put that in the grand scheme of things and realize the absurdity of that contract, then by all means, go right ahead. I knew that this man was going to get paid. And some people may be calling me a hypocrite because I was saying, well, I expect 295 to 305, so anywhere around 300, so what's another 25 million? Well, I'll tell you, it's another 25 million (laughs) for someone who hasn't pitched here yet. Yes, it is a difference, believe it or not. (laughs) So I can't believe I even have to say that to someone who's supposed to be a grown, sophisticated adult, but here we are. 2024 is tomorrow, and I still have to explain what the difference is between 300 million and 325 million, as if it's any sort of a small difference. Yeah, it's only 25 million dollars. Who cares, right? (laughs) Oh, God, I feel dumb just saying it. Well, listen, I'm not going to make believe over here that I'm totally okay with them missing out on Yamamoto. It's very unfortunate that they missed out on him, and I'm sad. I have been sad for about a week and a half now since this was all announced. Would have been really nice to have him as a Yankee. I really thought he was a great fit here. His persona, his desire to win, him not wanting to play for a smaller-esque team, a little brother per se. Um, Brian Cashman going to watch his start. He was pointing to him and the Yankees supposedly saving number 18 for him. And who knows how much of that is necessarily true, but still, just the overall excitement about it. I don't know. It just felt like he had the make of the pinstripes. I really thought that he was going to be a Yankee. I really, truly did. I was wrong. I'm always glad to admit when I'm wrong, guys. I always do it on this show. People go around and tell me like I always think I'm right about everything. It couldn't be further from the truth. I always admit when I'm wrong. But I also will admit when I'm right. And I'll make you hear it. (laughs) 
I was wrong about this. What do you want me to say? I thought he was going to be a Yankee. He is not. And there are a lot of factors here that actually ultimately make me believe that I'm not so sure he ever really wanted to be here in the first place. I mean, yeah, he requested another meeting with the Yankees ultimately. He requested another meeting with the Mets ultimately. He requested another meeting with the Dodgers ultimately. So in that sense, it's hard to tell. But with the way this all played out and all the reports that ended up surfacing after all was said and done, it's hard to believe that Yamamoto had any true desire and really had his eyes set solely on the Yankees. Like a lot of reports led people to believe, oh, the Yankees are the front runners for Yamamoto. He's expected to be a Yankee. This is the Yankees guy. He's theirs to lose, blah, 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 blah. So many reports for months going on and on and on about saying all that crap. It all turned out to be false, ultimately. And I didn't just say that because I thought the reports were indicating as such. I truly just thought that he had the persona and the makeup to be a Yankee. And I thought he wanted to be here. But goes to show what do us people behind the microphone know. We're not the ones behind the scenes, and we don't really see all the in and outs and the details going in and out of it. We just, we don't truly know. We go off reports and based off our own opinions and certain behaviors that we see through the media and whatnot. A bunch of things we go off of. Maybe certain actions, certain hints put out by players, but ultimately sometimes those don't even pan out. So it just depends. So I am sad. I'm very upset. Would have been a really good addition to a rotation that has a lot of question marks in it. And doesn't even really fully have a five-man rotation, to be honest with you. And anyone outside of Garrett Cole is a massive question mark. It would have been a really nice addition to have him. Despite his lack of Major League Baseball experience. Despite the change in schedule and the baseball itself and whatnot. Yeah, those were factors that were a bit of a question mark that I did mention in this Yamamoto pursuit. I don't hide anything. They were also reasons why I thought that the amount of money I was expecting to get was a little absurd. But you know what? You got to do what you got to do. But it just didn't work out. And that's just the way it goes sometimes, man. It's it's his choice. <laughs> it was a free agent signing. It's not like it was a trade or anything like that, like Verdugo or Soto or any of the other moves the Yankees or any other team makes via trade. It was a free agent signing. The bidding happened. Teams made their offers. He made his choice. And here we are. And you might be surprised to hear me take this, you know, sort of nonchalant, I guess, stance. I wouldn't really call it nonchalant. It's just acceptance. I mean, like, one, there's really nothing that can be done. No amount of screaming that'll make it different, despite my screaming in the past about many other things where nothing could be done. But I've also had a week and a half to sit on this, so I've, I've calmed down a bit. I was really upset the day of, don't get me wrong, but especially when you have some time to sit on it, and I didn't do an episode last weekend... Well, you're going to get a bit of a more level-headed mic this time around. I've explained that at times before. The thing about doing a weekly or a bi-weekly for the off-season for me, content or any sort of a show, when you have time to sit on something, you're obviously going to be more level-headed the more time you have to sit on it. Could have been a bit of a different mic if we spoke last week because it would have been three days after. It was still a hot topic and really major discussion going on throughout the baseball community. It was really center stage, but... It's been a week and a half now. And truthfully, I, I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to get some disagreements, I know. But you know what? I said this honestly right after this was announced. So I guess maybe you wouldn't have gotten that much of a different mic. Maybe I would have been more, a little bit more upset in general. But I did say this right after. I did. I think the Yankees were more than generous with their offer. 
The Yankees ended up offering 10 years, 300. And that was really around the range that I thought he was going to ultimately get signed for. So I guess if he ended up going with the Yankees, I would have been dead on, man. Yankees, years, money, and the time period. I would have nailed that crap (laughs) if he ended up choosing the Yankees. But, I mean, 10 years, 300 for someone who hasn't pitched here yet? I I think that's more than generous enough. I'm sorry. And if you take that contract length and money, and if you also factor in all the reports that came out after this was done, giving even more detail, shedding more light on the Yankees' offer and the ins and outs and the specific details, the little moving parts of the contract that they offered, 10 years 300 is the highest annual average earnings, highest AAV of any of the other offers he received. So most money he'd be getting per season. And yeah, the total of 325 over 12 for some people, yeah, they say, oh, that was the highest bid and that's what happened. Well, that's not even necessarily the truth either, and I'll get to that in a second. But also there are other, there are other aspects of a contract to consider. It's not just the big amount of money ultimately on the whole. There are other little parts of contracts that you can give a player to make it more attractive as another contract that might even be offering more overall money. And I mean, that's just a fact. You could tell me that I'm telling myself that just to sleep better at night or whatever you want to do, but that's just a fact. That's happened many times throughout contract signing in Major League Baseball history. AAV, annual average earnings throughout each season, is a factor in that. There's also something else that you might have heard of, uh, something called opt-outs or front-loading or back-loading. These are many different factors of contracts that can make it more appealing than another contract, again, like the Dodgers, which is offering more years and more overall money throughout the entire span of it. So the Yankees offered highest AAV, given the 10 years 300, as opposed to 12 years 325. And I have people saying that it's ridiculous that I think the Yankees offer is more than generous when just a little while ago people would have said 10 years, 300 for someone who hasn't pitched in this country yet would be downright and objectively absurd. Now I have people tell me that I'm downright absurd for thinking that this is more than a generous offer. Very funny there. Very, very funny. So highest AAV the Yankees offered than any other contract. And on top of that, this is the part where I'm talking about the overall contract now, with the Dodgers offer, people saying, oh, he's just going to go to the team that offers the most money and the best contract, he's going to go there. Well, reports even said that the Mets virtually matched the Dodgers offer. So, with that being said, I guess by that logic, he could have just as easily have gone to the Mets as well, but he didn't. He still chose the Dodgers. I can't say what would happen if the Yankees just bumped up to 325. Can't say what would happen. None of us could say what would happen. So don't assume. But he did get virtually the same offer. And he still chose the Dodgers. So with all of that being said, even factoring that part in, that other argument, the report's saying the Yankees offered Yamamoto a higher annual average earning than even the Dodgers did. We've established that. Here are the other parts of the contract that can come into play. They offered him an earlier opt-out, and that does have appeal, because let's say if they in that 10-year contract, let's say they offered him an opt-out after five. That would be similar to Garrett Cole's nine-year contract, which an opt-out is coming up after this season, I believe, for that, after the fifth year. 
You offer someone in a 10-year contract and opt out after five. Depending on how their first five years go, if they're even better than anticipated and the market is inevitably going to be even more ridiculous in the next five years, people are going to be making even bigger contracts than they already are, even though we have far surpassed the territory of insanity when it comes to some of these salaries, this one included, Things are going to be even higher, and depending on how he performs in his first five years here, if his skill is in even greater demand in the next five years, he could get even more money in a new contract. So opt-outs do have an appeal, even if you do want to deny it. They also, yeah, we're not done yet, they offered more money in the first five years of what would have been that opt-out period. Just in case you didn't know that, some more aspects. So they offered an opt-out, which to a lot of guys has great appeal, more money in the first five years, and he'd be making more money on average each year than any of the other contracts that he was offered. Just in case you didn't know that, just want to give you all the facts. And that's according to sources briefed on all the proposals. So these are legitimate reports that are out there. I got to believe them. There are a lot of different people out there that are reporting the same thing. So with all of this in consideration, with everything that I just threw at you, it's apparent to me, maybe not to so many others, but it is apparent to me that this dude did not want to be here. I think, and a lot of other people have said the same thing, and I'm inclined to agree, I think that especially when it came to requesting these meetings with the Yankees and the Mets and the Dodgers based off the order that they went in, I think that he was just using both New York teams, the Yankees and the Mets. I think they both got played. I think that he used the both of them to drive up his overall price of the contract, being the 325, with the team that he truly wanted to go to, and that is the Los Angeles Dodgers. And again, similarly to what I said before, if you want to call that cope or copium, fine, go right ahead. Go ahead, call it cope. But considering all the aspects of the Yankees offer that I just told you about before, that makes theirs plenty appealing enough, despite the total offer of 12 years, 325 from the Dodgers, excluding posting fees. Not to mention the fact that our crosstown rival New York Mets offered a pretty much identical contract. I mean, that just gives me even more reason to believe that he just didn't want to be here, bro. <laughs> just didn't want to be here. So if that is in fact the truth, as much as I hate this expression, guys, I hate this. It is what it is. It's time to move on. It just is. It's time to move on. And other guys like John Heyman came out with reports saying, oh, the Yankees didn't really want to go over 300 because they felt that their offer was generous enough, which I, I agree. I do. I agree with that. Sorry. If that makes me a Hal or Cashman shill, even though I have come out constantly in criticism of them more times than I, I can even imagine counting, fine. Fine. But I think that is more than okay for someone who has not pitched in this country yet. A myriad of things could happen. A lot of these guys develop arm problems. They can't really adjust to the new schedule. They have trouble adjusting with the new baseball. A lot of guys, some guys just come here and blow up. That happens sometimes. I'm not using this as rationale again to help me sleep at night. It's just the fact. I even mentioned these risks before this was even decided. So you can't really say that. I'm just saying that especially in light of what he ended up getting, which was even more absurd than we predicted, then these facts are a little bit more glaring inevitably. That's how it goes. 
And then other things like Heyman said, oh, they didn't want to pay him more than Garrett Cole, which, listen, Garrett Cole signed almost a half a decade ago. The market changes. It should have no relevance to what they should be willing to do with Yamamoto being Cole's contract. People are saying the same thing with, oh, they might not spend what they need to spend with Juan Soto because they wouldn't want to pay him more than Judge. Listen, the market changes. And it has definitely stepped more into the territory and beyond of insanity as of this offseason. So I imagine it'll get even worse next year. So that should not be anything to hold them back. And I just have, I have a lot of trouble believing that, that Cole had anything to do with it. I do believe that they thought that $300 million was generous enough. And I objectively agree with that. I'm sorry. I do. I agree. With all the other factors of the contract, too, with the earlier opt-out, more money in the first five years, greatest AAV of any other offer, the opt-out's a good thing. In case it doesn't work out, then, you know, it could be over and done with in the first five years, and you don't risk having to be locked up in that kind of a contract for more overall money for that many more years. There's a certain way these things go. And some people don't understand that. They just want to take the opportunity right away to say, oh, the Yankees failed. There's a colossal mess up. I'll never forgive them. They're screwed. Just take a second and look into the details. And think rationally as much as possible. And now, yeah, that's even a challenge for me to do. And I'm really red hot and passionate. Yeah, but especially after I calm down, it's something that I'm able to do. Am I upset that he's not a Yankee? Yes, I am. I think he would have been a good fit here, despite my overall concerns of the general risks that take place when you're signing someone from another country and they're coming here for the first time. Yes. But when it comes to what the Yankees ultimately offered, the minute details of said offer compared to the others, I think they took a really good crack at it. I'm sorry. I I think they did. So can I blame them? No. This time, I can't. And one could also really suggest that saving that kind of money could also do well in hopefully extending Soto at some point as well. The allocation of money. You could use that as an argument as well. And Lord knows how much I am over the moon about Soto being here. But I'd also be pretending if I said the job is done because it is not. There is more work to be done. Specifically, the starting rotation, with which, yes, Yamamoto would have been a fine addition to. Nobody's denying that. But my point is here that I cannot blame the Yankees for losing out on this given their offer. I can't. Now, if you want to take how much I wanted him being here and me being okay with nine years and like somewhere in the 290s or around 300 and then saying that, I can't blame them for this new offer. If you want to call me a hypocrite, then call me a hypocrite. I happen to think that there is a big difference in nine years, let's say like 295, than 12 years, 325. And also factoring in all the positives the Yankees put in the contract for him to make it more appealing, despite being overall $25 million less than the Dodgers. And some people call, well, the Yankees just lost the bidding. Get over it. The overall bidding. It was 300 versus 325. Well, if that's the case, then fine. Whatever. But I think the Yankees definitely put enough into that contract as well to really make that a bit easier to deal with for someone who really, truly wanted to be here. That's the point I'm getting at. I don't think he ever cared to be a Yankee. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm, you could say that I'm using that to 
help myself to deal with it better. I don't think I am. After how this all played out and the order in which he requested the meetings and just how all of this played out ultimately, I just don't think he ever had true interest in being a Yankee. I don't. I think he wanted the Dodgers. I think he wanted to be closer to home. I think he wanted to play with Shohei. Yeah, there are reports saying, oh yeah, I probably would have been a Dodger anyway if if Shohei wasn't here. You cannot tell me that Shohei wasn't at least a little bit of an appeal. I mean, come on. How stupid do you think we are? <laughs> like, come on. It has to be at least a little bit of an appeal. And also the fact that Shohei accepted that deferral of money and all that, it just it just seemed to line up too beautifully to be a coincidence. I'm sorry. I just think it was a plan from the get-go. And I just think that this is how it was always meant to play out, unfortunately. I didn't think that before this all played out. I had my head in the clouds, I guess, and I was believing that he wanted to be here, and I was expecting him to be here. But after how it all ultimately played out and all these facts gathering and everything, I just, I think that he just wanted to be a Dodger. And even the things he was saying really indicated as such. I mean, yeah, what else is he going to say in his introductory press conference? But I just think that's where he wanted to be. I really do. And I've had debates with friends over this, personal friends being very insulting towards me, actually. And I have a very thick skin, but there is one thing, like I said before, that I will not tolerate. Name-calling and complete irrationality over a simple baseball debate. That is when I'm out, man. I'm just out. It's not worth it. I'm here to level-headedly and excitingly talk baseball with you, even if you're frustrated. But when you call me ridiculous or, or dumb or saying that I'm not seeing reason or just anything... Like, in that sense, I'm just like, all right, whatever, dude. <laughs> you go on thinking what you want. I'm clearly not changing your mind, and this is a waste of my breath. But people call me delusional, saying the Yankees really messed up on this by not offering another 25, and the other aspects of the contract don't mean anything, and it's just a, a simple matter of 300 versus 325. Well, no, it's not. There's a difference in years and commitment, too, so that's a difference, first of all. And second of all, those little ins and outs of the contract, those little intricate details, those do make a difference, and they have made a difference in many signings in the past. So you're objectively incorrect about both of those, if you feel that way. If you want to hang your hat on the fact that, well, he's a Dodger, so I must not be wrong, fine, hang your hat on that. I couldn't care less. Just don't come at me for citing objective facts based off of things that have happened in the past with contract signings and things that actually do make a difference, factually a difference. And you'll have to excuse me if after the way everything worked out and given all the facts that we had after this was all said and done, if I just believe that he didn't really want to be a Yankee, you'll have to excuse me. Just a lot of things pointing that direction to me. Too hard to avoid or ignore. So it's really just not that cut and dry. I don't appreciate people spitting these things at me as if they even knew what happened in the negotiations. That's another thing, by the way. Like, in all these meetings, we don't know what happened in these meetings or what was said or exactly how it went. Or, like, there are a lot of things in these negotiations that could have played out differently. Like, you never know if the Yankees actually, like they say, oh, they didn't want to go past $300 million. They They thought that their offer was generous enough. And if that is, in fact, the truth, and yeah, again, I agree with that. I'm not switching up on that. But you never know. He could have gone to the Dodgers, they said... 300s and the Mets went up to 325 and they, they might have never given the Yankees a chance to match or go higher. You never know. And they went to the Dodgers and the Dodgers said 325 and and if that's the team that he had a little bit more of a preference for then he might have chosen LA and the Yankees might not have even had a chance to match. You just don't know. 
Unless you're on the inside, you just don't know. So that's what I'm saying. It's not smart to assume completely. And I'm not completely assuming here. I'm just going based off of the facts that I see here, the order in which they happened, and what we were told after it was all happened based on the contracts and the inner workings of them, the specific details of them. But when it comes to the specific conversations and dialogue that took place within those meetings, within those negotiations, we don't know that. None of us know that. And if you're just a guy talking to the ether like I am, and you're going to pretend to know more than me, well then go ahead and count sand, bro. It's ridiculous the names that I've been called just for, over a simple baseball debate for this guy. I mean, my God. I wish Yamamoto all the best over there. And yeah, despite the risks that all that, that could happen, I mean... I was afraid of that before even the signing, but now afterwards, it's the Dodgers' problem. But I'm not going to be called insane or a hypocrite for not even switching up on anything. It's absolutely crazy. And I'm sorry, I think you're really unfair for not giving the Yankees credit for all those intricate details in the contract that make it even better than what it already was, but for thinking that they cheaped out on offering a guy who hasn't pitched here yet 10 years, 300 I think you need a reality check if you feel that way. Oh, it's an example of the Yankees' mystique and aura going away. Bro, he just wanted to be a Dodger. Stop. Oh, why couldn't they just bump it up to 325 and extend the year? Well, you're talking about two more years, which makes a difference. Two years does make a difference. And so does another $25 million. And that's where you put in the little details of this contract that might make it even more appealing. I don't need to repeat myself anymore. I mean, oh my God. This is what I get into. This is the loop that I get into on these shows, trying to rationally explain something to people who are never going to have their minds changed and never want to hear any other viewpoints other than their own. I don't even know why I waste my time. I've said that three... I forget three. I've said it like seven times already. I don't even have to repeat myself again. Forget it. Forget it. If you think the Yankees cheaped out, then I'm probably not going to change your mind and neither is anybody else. So go on thinking that despite not even knowing how it's going to all work out anyway because it's completely up in the air. You have a guy who's never pitched here before and you seem to be going out there like you know everything. All I'm saying is there are a lot of other things to consider to not see it as so black and white like some people are. But if you want to be impatient and irrational and just go off the rails and go right ahead, go ahead, enjoy. Let me know how it goes or don't. Regardless though, with that all said and done and there is nothing we can do about it now, Yamamoto is a Dodger, and the media is eating it up, of course, releasing all kinds of posts about it on social media, how he's going to look in every Dodgers uniform, and blah, 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 blah. So, that's done with Yamamoto sweepstakes, done. And he is not a Yankee. So, and listen, you could feel how you want about that whole thing. My only argument in this entire thing that for some reason people are not understanding is that I think it is unfair to accuse the Yankees of cheaping out in this case. I just don't think it's fair. Not a fair accusation. But if you want to go on crucifying them and saying that it is a fair accusation, then go right ahead. Go ahead. If you want to look at the whole grand scheme of things with the Dodgers now, though, whether or not you want to include the fact that Shohei's money is deferred and he's only making $2 million a year over the next 10 years and the remaining 680 will be paid after it's all said and done. 
The Dodgers now, with them still officially signing the $700 million contract with Shohei, and this official signing with Yamamoto now, the Dodgers, with two guys, two, have now exceeded a billion dollars. Billion. Buh. Not M. M. Buh. B. With two guys. With Otani, you have someone who is not pitching in 2024, so half of what makes him as appealing as he is, objectively so, is not even a factor for 2024, and nobody can even say that it is guaranteed to be a factor, or at least even half as effective as it was before, for all the years beyond that, because it is Tommy John's surgery that we're talking about here, and some guys return never being the same again, or maybe even getting the same injury all over again, and still never being the same after that, after having to miss even more time recovering. So it's not even a guarantee that he'll even be the same after 24, but it's a guarantee that he's not pitching for at least 2024. Half of his game is eliminated thereby. So, one of those people is Otani with those circumstances. And the other one is someone who has not even pitched here yet. And listen, it's not a crap on the Dodgers session. If they're comfortable with doing that, if they feel like the deferral of money with Otani is going to make it not sting nearly as much and they're comfortable with that money for Yamamoto, then hey, more power to them. Bless their hearts. I just think (laughs) that, not that it matters, but I just think that it is objectively insane. That's just me. But hey, if you want to call me insane for claiming such a thing, then you are well within your rights to do so as well. But I just think it is absolutely absurd. When you put it into the grand scheme of things, when you put it into that light, over a billion dollars, almost 1.1 billion, if you factor in the posting fee for Yamamoto, for two guys with those circumstances. Not a guarantee for Yamamoto that it'll work out here with the transition. And with Otani's circumstances not pitching at all in 2024, and it's not a guarantee he'll be the same after 2024. Committing that much money, despite the deferral and everything else. More power to you, Dodgers. Best of luck. Because that has the chance of being a completely unmitigated disaster. But if you're willing to take that risk, go right ahead. No one's stopping you. Now, with Yamamoto being done with, that's behind us. It's done. It's in the past. With that being done, the Yankees, like I said, still have work to do. Am I over the moon and completely overjoyed that Juan Soto is a Yankee? And do I think that it does wonders for the lineup and revolutionizes the entire thing, basically, like he would for damn near just about any organization on the planet? Yes. Is the work done? No, it is not. If the Yankees went into 2024 with this current team as is, I never made it seem like Juan Soto was the only move that had to be made. If they go into the next season with this current team as currently constructed, I will not be confident. Why? Well, I'll tell you why, even though I have already answered this many times. The Yankees still need starting pitching. They do, objectively. I could feel as good as I do with the lineup. I could feel as good as I do about the bullpen. The rotation's a problem. 
objectively, you cannot afford to pretend like it is not a problem because it is. You have Garrett Cole, and then it falls off after that. Yeah, you have Rodon, who should and could be the number two, but considering how much injury time he had last year and how awful he was after said injury time, whether or not he was still pitching hurt or whatever excuse you want to use, that's a question mark. No matter how you want to paint it, it is a question mark. Nestor Cortez missed as much time as he did in 2023, and when he was pitching in 2023, he regressed. That's a question mark. Clark Schmidt? Yeah, he definitely showed improving throughout the entire season as it continued to go along, but not necessarily a top-of-the-rotation guy, not someone you have full faith in necessarily as of yet, probably still at the end stages of his development. So it's not someone you could really rely on to be like a killer number two behind Garrett Cole. So it's a little bit of a question mark. Probably even less of a question mark than Nestor and Rodon, to be honest with you, considering the injuries and how the regression took place even when they weren't hurt. But still a bit of a question mark nonetheless and not someone you could fully hang your hat on with full confidence. So beyond that, the Yankees don't even really have a fifth guy. So with that combined with all of the uncertainties in this rotation, yeah, the rotation needs help, guys. We've been mentioning this along with the importance of getting Soto. That's done. So now you have to turn your attention to the rotation. They need help. Now you have certain depth guys like you have Clayton Beater. A lot of guys are mentioning him. People have a lot of intrigue in Chase Hampton who they managed to hold on to amidst the Juan Soto trade. And also making a comeback this year, a name that some people may have forgotten about. Some people are anticipating to see Luis Heel again, may have forgotten about him. But he could be making a reappearance here. And you have all the bullpen arms that they still have or are potentially yet to get in order to act as reinforcements. Although I don't believe in a super pen compensating for a rotation, I think you should have a competent rotation and a solid bullpen, if possible. So the rotation definitely needs help. And with Yamamoto gone and others also flying off the board recently, options are starting to run out. And it is a bit concerning, and that's, that's also the aspect of losing Yamamoto that stings a bit. So they are starting to run out a bit, but there are some names remaining. Some of those being a Corbin Burns in a potential trade with Milwaukee. Very attractive option. Blake Snell. Another attractive option, even though he has certain aspects of his game that have diminished that make him a little bit of a risk. You have Jordan Montgomery out there, who's probably going to be a little overpaid, especially considering his contributions with the Rangers from when he went there, and then his playoff contributions as well. Probably going to get a bit overpaid. Some people are interested in a Monty reunion. I'm not totally turned off to the idea myself. Some people mentioning Dylan Cease of the White Sox. A lot of people mentioning Shane Bieber. Of the Guardians, good young pitcher, has had himself some really solid seasons in his young career. And two guys that people were also mentioning were Frankie Montas and Lucas Giolito. And both of those guys have now come off the board. Frankie Montas signed a deal with the Reds, one year, 15 to $16 million, which I think is completely absurd. I was saying for a few weeks that I was... Not totally disinterested, despite how disastrously the trade has gone thus far, in the Yankees having a reunion with Montas if it meant an extremely small prove-it contract with incentives. And 
I was really thinking like in maybe the $5 million range, something like that, where it's really no risk and potential high reward with someone who was a really respectable starting pitcher in the last two to three years. But I guess it's a similar rant to the one I went on with Luis Severino of how I just don't understand how the market has gotten so completely absurd to the point where now a reclamation project and I guess the best way to describe it is just someone who you're really just taking a flyer on is now being signed for anywhere from like 13 to $16 million for a year. I mean, listen, if these organizations don't care, then they don't care, whatever. If they have the money, then they have the money. But I I just, I guess I've lost touch with the market. I guess it's just gotten so crazy that I just haven't been able to keep up with it. But, I mean, 15 to $16 million for someone who has arguably not pitched well since late 2021, early 2022, until he has developed a myriad of injury issues, and then when he was on the field, he was a disaster? I mean, listen, maybe I'm the ridiculous one. Maybe I just don't get it. Something's not clicking here. Something's not being clocked properly here. <laughs> 15 to $16 million, even if it is just for one year. For Frankie Montas, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, whatever. I, I guess these teams just believe in upside so much that they just don't care. I don't know. I, I just, whatever. So, regardless, Montas is with the Reds now. He is not coming back. So, that's not an avenue the Yankees could pursue anymore. And Lucas Giolito, who I've never really had interest in anyway, 5 ERA guy, really not much upside for him. He signed with Boston. So, who also, by the way, just made a humongous trade yesterday or the day before, sending sale to Atlanta. Huge there. So, letting go of sale and signing Giolito. And the return, from what I understand, I haven't really looked too much into it, admittedly, so was pretty good for Boston. But still, I mean, that's a big move trading Chris Sale. Definitely made the waves in the baseball community in the last day or so. But... Regardless, the point I'm trying to make, Montas and Giolito, along with guys like Yamamoto, off the market now. The options continue to dwindle, is the point I'm trying to make. Now, of all those names that I just threw out there, the ones that I'm primarily interested in are probably Jordan Montgomery, although I do think he might get a bit of an overpay, ultimately. But I would be interested in re-adding him to the rotation because he did just show a lot of potential despite the Yankees' prior comments about him really not being a part of postseason plans. And he goes out and does what he did with the Texas Rangers in the postseason in 2023. (laughs) And he's already familiar with what it takes to be here. So that's a big plus. You always worry about people, what they would be like coming to New York for the first time. Well, it wouldn't be the first time. It wouldn't be his first rodeo. Montgomery. He knows what it takes to be here. He's familiar with the environment, familiar with a lot of the guys who are still on the team. So in in a lot of those ways, and just thinking that he was a really respectable pitcher here, I'm not saying he was great. He was was respectable. He was definitely a picture of consistency, if nothing else. Pretty consistently solid. It's pretty good. And I wouldn't have a problem of adding that back to the middle, maybe lower-ish part of the rotation right now. I would not have a problem with that. Seemed to be pretty durable, too, which is definitely a desirable trait here. So, I would not be totally opposed to a Montgomery reunion, especially if it's for the right money, but you just do what you got to do to help out this rotation right now. 
and he's also a proven talent here. He, he, he just knows. He knows what it takes to pitch in Major League Baseball, pitch in New York. He gets it. Now, Corbin Burns and Blake Snell, both of these guys would have to be via trade. And that's a bit of a problem anytime you're thinking of a trade because both Corbin Burns and Blake Snell are solid pitchers. So the price in a trade would be steep. And the Yankees are running out of people to give in light of trades like the Juan Soto trade. And and that is not me saying I regret the trade at all. They have Juan Soto now. I would do it again if I could. It's not what I'm saying. But in light of certain moves that they have made, certain Rule 5 guys that they've lost and whatnot, you look at the farm, it's a little less so than it was before, inevitably. You're starting to run out of true desirable players that other organizations would want in big trades like these. They're both down to the last year of their deals. Blake is down to the last year of his contract, and Corbin has this last year of arbitration coming up, so it would have to be via trade. It would also have to be via trade for Shane Bieber of the Guardians. So three options right there you'd have to trade. And for Montgomery, it would be a signing. So I think Montgomery would definitely be a desirable reunion. So I would definitely be interested in him. And if you want to add someone else beyond that, of all of these options, from a realistic standpoint, and for whom I would think cost the least in a trade package, for me, it's Shane Bieber. Now, I know what a lot of people are probably saying. Shane Bieber has a bit of injury risk. He was not quite as sharp this past year as he has been in the past. I understand all of that. But given how Shane has shown that he could still be a really, really good pitcher, top of the rotation-esque, he's shown that within the last two years. We've seen how great he could be. He was towards the top of the mountain as far as desired pitchers really not long ago at all. And I think that he could really rediscover some of that in New York. If there's anyone who has any sort of potential to have a bounce back here, I think it's Shane Bieber. And I know I'm very quick to mention risk, and I will rationally and objectively mention the risks of him here right now. He has an injury history of this past season especially. His numbers weren't quite that great. His strikeout rate plummeted. So there are definitely aspects of his game that might give you some pause, and they do give me a little bit of pause. I'm not going to make believe like I'm ignoring all of them. I'm just saying based off of the pitcher that we've known him to be, let alone not too long prior to 2023 either. I just think that he has a lot of potential to unlock a lot of what he was before here. I really, really do. Blake Snell and Corbin Burns would objectively cost them a lot. Because Blake Snell had a healthy season in 2023, which he has struggled with a bit in past seasons. So you could say that, oh, there's the risk of the prior seasons of having some health risk here and there, but this past season, most recently, uh, he didn't have any, and he just won the damn Cy Young Award, won 14 games, in 180 innings, struck out 234 people, and really the only massive con, the massive one to his 2023, was that his walks skyrocketed. He had 99 walks in 2023. That's a lot of walks, so he did put a lot of guys on base. That's a bit of a risk, but all things considered on the whole, 
The guy had a hell of a year. So he's going to cost a lot, and the Padres are going to want a lot. The fact that he's in the year before, it'd basically be another Juan Soto situation. He'd be going back to San Diego asking for another rental, as of right now, year before free agency. So there's that problem a bit. But that I guess that would make him cost a bit less. But considering what he has done of late, it's still going to cost a lot in a trade package to get Blake Snell, I would have to imagine. So given where the Yankees are right now, I'm not thinking that's too realistic. So Blake Snell is just a bit too legitimately, objectively realistic for me to even really start to think about him. Unfortunately, the same applies to Corbin Burns, who, yes, please don't get me wrong, I would really like either of these guys on the Yankees. I'm not pretending like I wouldn't. I'm not that foolish. But when you consider all these other aspects and how just how realistic it would be, it's tough. Corbin Burns, another guy in his final year of arbitration, so it would be another via trade. And yeah, his numbers went up a bit in 2023, but if you look at this guy, I mean, he's a workhorse. Last three years, he has pitched nearly every single one of his starts, which you don't see that very often with a lot of guys. 2021, he missed a few, 28 starts, but that's really not that big of a deal. 243 ERA that year, 294 ERA in 33 starts in 2022, with 243 strikeouts and 202 innings. And even just this past year, his ERA went up a little bit, yeah, but... 339 and 32 starts, so really pitched all he had to again. 193 and two-thirds innings, so an innings eater. 200 strikeouts again in that many innings. You're talking about a solid guy here. Corbin Burns has been the real deal in every year of his career so far, basically except for 2019, when he wasn't really a starter yet. He really just started to get into that groove, really, in the shortened season in 2020. He started four games in 2019, so he started to get a little bit more of a taste for it. 2020, obviously, was what it was. And then in 2021, when he really, for the first time, became an official starter, and he still managed to throw 167 innings at that, with his first full season starting, really. Ever since then, it's really taken off. I mean, 2019, he really took a step down, 882 ERA primarily out of the bullpen, but then after that, he really shaped up. I mean, 12 games in 2020, because that season was what it was, of course, 211 ERA, and ever since then, really, last three, four years, the guy has been a top arm in the game, another one that a lot of people love to talk about. So don't get me wrong, this would be another fantastic addition to the team, but it's just another instance where I feel like the Brewers would really ask for a lot back, and I'm not sure how realistic that is. would be another great option to be behind Garrett Cole at the top of the rotation, but I just don't know. If it's possible for them to pull it off without giving anyone up, that would really, really just completely deflate the entire farm or anything of the sorts, and I guess fine, do what you can, because someone like Corbin is worth it. But that's tough. Trades anywhere here that's not going to cost a crap ton. It's tough. The reason why I'm objectively a little bit more optimistic with Shane Bieber is because it's not quite the same instances here, or rather circumstances. It is the same, and in this sense, it is exactly the same as Corbin Burns, actually. He is also going into his final year of arbitration. So again, Shane Bieber would be a trade. So... I guess the same with the other two in the sense that it would be less because it would be another walkier kind of an instance. But the difference with Shane is that 
the performance last year most recently is not quite as effective, which would make it cost even less than it already would because of the fact that he's in a walk year pretty much. You look at some of his stats in 2023, his ERA did unfortunately go up to 380, which is the highest it's been since 2018, where in 19 starts he pitched to a four and a half ERA. So in 2023, he did take a bit of a step down, and he only started in 21 games this year, and even pitched in 21 games. So that's where the injuries come in, only 128 innings, and in that time, only 107 strikeouts, that's where the decrease in strikeout rate comes into play. So with all these factors considered, Shane Bieber in a trade package with all three of those candidates would be the easiest to acquire. And considering how appealing he is based off the past, 2022 in 31 starts pitching to a 288 ERA, 200 innings, 198 strikeouts, basically a strikeout per inning there, probably the best year of his career if I had to say so, if you're excluding the shortened season in 2020. But even in 2021, yeah, this year he only made about half his starts, 16, but 317 ERA. And in 2020, in the shortened year where he made 12 starts, a 163 ERA. I remember 2020 into 2021, even a little bit in 2019 when he made in 33 starts, 328 ERA, another phenomenal year. That was really around the time where Shane Bieber was really considered to be a highly desirable pitcher. A lot of people wanted him. And it was really still on that path until 2023. 2023 was really the first season where people were like, oh my god, yeah, Shane Bieber's really, he's had injury troubles and his ERA really went up. It's one bad season, really. And I guess 2021, yeah, he did only start in 16 games. So there's that. So yeah, I could hear a lot of people asking me right now, well, Mike, huge problem with the Yankees is injuries. Why would you want a guy who has the potential to get injured? Well, just about anybody has the potential to get injured. And if there's anybody out there who I'm going to believe in based on his performance for the better part of the last half decade to bounce back and figure his crap out, it's someone like Shane Bieber. I choose my guys who, based off of evidence of the past, and potential for the future, I feel could turn it around. I choose who I feel can and who I feel can't. Shane Bieber is one of those guys where because of all of this, I feel like he can. For years now in Cleveland, he has been a top of the rotation guy. So if he is to come here for a package that wouldn't sting too much for the Yankees, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, the worst they would give away maybe is maybe a pairing of like Oswald Peraza or Everson Pereira or something like that, then fine, if it's, especially if it's someone who they don't plan on playing who is just about Major League ready, I'd give them. I would. I'd give them. And that would definitely be someone on the level, give or take, of being a number two alongside, if he's healthy, a Carlos Rodon. So that'd be a solid top three in my opinion. It would be. And listen, if he misses a few starts, he misses a few starts. Most pitchers do nowadays anyway. It's really hard to find inning eaters and workhorses, which along with the reason, just being in general, how iconic he is, that's another reason why people praise Garrett Cole the way they do, because he's a workhorse and he misses little to no time. It's hard to find that in today's game. So if that's the only thing standing in your way and you have someone with the upside of Shane Bieber and still as young as he is, still just... At age 28, 
I make the trade. That's someone who I believe in having. And if you could get him and sign someone like Montgomery along with him to get some solid rotation depth on top of that and allow maybe someone like a Nestor Cortez or a Clark Schmidt to act as depth or maybe bottom rotation, I think you could put together a pretty good rotation from that. Pretty solid. I feel pretty good about that. I really would, honestly. I would probably throw a rotation like this out there. Maybe Cole, Rodon, Bieber... Montgomery, and then Schmidt or Nestor. At that point, you even have like a right-left, right-left, right dynamic going in the rotation. You also have that dynamic really in the Yankee lineup now with the additions of guys like Trent Grisham, Juan Soto, and so on and so forth, some of the additions they've made. So you you have a lot more of a balanced overall roster with this as well. So yes, there are definitely risks that come along with Shane Bieber. There are risks that come along with a lot of guys. But especially considering it's probably the most realistic option trade package-wise and the really solid upside that he objectively has. I would like to see him in pinstripes if possible. I'd like to see if the Yankees would be willing to trade for him. I think it'd be a really good option. Or a Montgomery reunion. Not sure if Montgomery would be interested in coming back here. Again, that's a signing instance, so he would have to want to come back here, and the Yankees would have to offer money that he'd be willing to have in order to come back here. So, if possible, those two are probably my desired targets. I mean, if you're okay with gutting everything and really giving significant pieces away and going completely all in, then I guess you could look into putting together potential trade packages for Corbin Burns and Blake Snell. And Blake and Corbin are definitely solid options. Like I said before, nobody's denying that. Just from a realistic standpoint and someone I'd still be plenty fine with, I think Shane Bieber and Jordan Montgomery would be two good options to pursue. That's just my honest opinion of all the remaining options. I don't have too much of a desire for Dylan Cease. I don't think Cease is bad at all. I wouldn't hate if he came here. But the two I'm looking at from desirable and realistic standpoints, Montgomery and Bieber are probably my guys. And there are other names that could probably surface in the coming weeks as the offseason continues on. We're heading into January by the end of today, which I can't believe. It's absolutely insane. But that's really the pitching game that remains out there as of now, guys. It's uh, dwindling a bit. It is. So that's really all the pitcher talk I got for you today. I only took up about almost an hour. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So let's keep on moving right along and talk about some of the other things here. We got some Yankees news for you. A couple of minor things here happening these last couple of weeks. We'll start with what happened on Tuesday the 19th, just a couple of days after we last spoke. The Yankees actually ended up claiming infielder, ready for this, Jeter Downs off of waivers from the Washington Nationals and If you remember, this name should sound familiar to you, aside from his first name being Jeter. (laughs) He was a part of the famous Mookie Betts trade between the Red Sox and the Dodgers years ago, obviously, in the return package to Boston. And that was when we were all going into a tizzy, saying, oh my God, the Boston Red Sox have someone with the first name of Jeter on their team. And he ended up finding his way to the Nationals. Now the Yankees have claimed him off of waivers. So someone with the first name of Jeter has found his way home (laughs) to the Bronx. 
claimed off of waivers. So we'll see if Jeter even has a role in the Yankees going forward. It's possible he might not. I mean, we'll see. But I just think it is very funny that Jeter Downs, after all of the talk about him in the past of having the first name of our beloved Derek Jeter, just funny that he finds his way here after going to Boston, of all places, and now the Nationals, and then here. It's just really funny. So, Jeter Downs, claimed off of waivers by the Yankees. Big news there, earth-shattering. And then on Tuesday the 26th, just a few days ago, the Yankees also acquired right-handed pitcher. Cody Morris from the Cleveland Guardians in exchange for Estevan Floreal. Like I said before, you might as well if you're not going to use Floreal anyway. And listen, if the Guardians and the Yankees are already establishing trade routes as of now, like this for instance, well, maybe it could potentially mean in the future them calling each other back up and talking about Mr. Bieber. Who knows? Could be. Never counted out. So, I mean, listen, Cody Morris isn't really much to talk about, honestly. I think it's pretty amazing that they were able to get just about anybody for Estevan Floreal in his current state right now, who nobody would really even give a chance to just about a year ago or less. And now you actually managed to get somebody, anyone for him, <laughs> which I think is impressive in its own right. But just to give you a little bit of background on Cody Morris, what it is we are dealing with here from... The Yankees' perspective, he's only been in the league for a couple of years with the Cleveland Guardians, and in 2022, he pitched in seven games, started five of them, and pitched to a 2.28 ERA, and in 22 and two-thirds innings, he struck out 23 guys, walked 12, gave up 21 hits, so pretty good numbers, not bad. And then in 2023, coming out of the bullpen six times, not starting any games, pitched to a 6.75 ERA. And in eight innings, giving up six runs. So not ideal there. So not too much to go on. You're only going on 13 games and five starts in the big leagues, amounting to a total of a 341 ERA with 32 strikeouts and 31 and two-thirds innings. 31 hits in that time. So basically a hit and a strikeout per inning, more or less, giving up 12 earned runs, 14 runs total, 12 earned. So... And 18 walks as well. Don't want to forget to mention that. So, eh, it's another addition. Primarily out of the bullpen, has some starting experience, so it could be some depth in emergency for the rotation, I suppose. Otherwise, a potential arm for the bullpen. And especially since he has starting experience, but also because of how he was used at times in 2023, could be a long relief guy. Maybe taking the role of someone like a, uh, a Michael King or maybe someone like a Clark Schmidt who would be in the bullpen and that's probably the role he'd take considering he could throw more than just an inning or two now as someone who was primarily a starter in 2023. Now you have someone else who could probably pitch more than just an inning if need be in 2024. Nothing to really go nuts over, but it's not a terrible arm. He's not absolutely awful. Not as good in 23 as he was in 22, of course, but again, just getting just about anybody, especially if it's some pitching depth, for Estevan Floreal, who basically no one was willing to give a chance to, not that long ago at all. Just in the earlier part of the 2023 season, and the Yankees just ended up getting him back anyway. Well, that's a pretty decent exchange, I would say. Not bad. Recontact them about Shane Bieber. That's what I say. <laughs> and then on Wednesday the 27th, just a little heads up here, for our IKF lovers, and we know that I very much appreciated IKF in his new role with the Yankees in 2023, 
unfortunately, we will still be seeing him quite a bit, but not in a Yankee uniform. And the reason we will still be seeing him quite a bit is because he's staying in the division. IKF signed a two-year, $15 million contract, pending a physical, with the Toronto Blue Jays. So IKF is no longer a Yankee after a much scrutinized, rightfully so, 2022, being forced into an everyday shortstop position that was never going to work from day one. As a placeholder, it ended up being a disaster. And then in 2023, being more adapted to a depth role, being put in the outfield, being put in as a substitution, whether it be in the field or on base, being put at third base sometimes where he won his gold glove in the shortened season and just really a new role, not playing every day, not just really dedicated to shortstop, and it worked pretty well for what it was. And he ended up changing a lot of people's minds, mine included, and credit to him. He ended up being a very likable player and an important player off the bench primarily in 2023. So for that, he'll be missed, and and really, I respect him for all of the criticism and for all the vitriol he put up with and for the mentality that he continued to take and just willing to do whatever it took to help the Yankees win, especially in 23 with his mentality. I respect the hell out of that in a player and in a man, honestly. So I will never forget that with IKF. I'm not going to be losing any sleep now that he's gone, but I will definitely remember his positive attributes primarily in 2023, and I'll miss that. And I wish him all the best. No negative feelings toward IKF whatsoever. If anything, you could really dedicate the disaster of 2022 with him to the Yankees' ineptitude and lack of vision in seeing that that was never going to work from get-go and that was not the best move for the team that year. You could very much just blame the Yankees for that, and that's what I choose to do. So all the best of luck to IKF. Not too much luck, especially when facing the Yankees, though, because the Yankees are going to be seen quite often since he's in division, so that stinks. But otherwise, all the best to him. I definitely would not have bought him back on that contract, though, not only just going beyond one year, but the $7.5 million AAV for each year plus $1 million in incentives, I just would not have done that. So I understand the Yankees letting him go, but all the best to him. See what happens there. And of course, there's the news before, like I mentioned, with Montas going to the Reds. That just happened yesterday, so that's brand new. So that's really all of your news primarily. The main important stuff from this past week, folks. And the week before, the last two weeks, a lot has happened, lots. Now, this is the last thing I want to talk about before wrapping up the last show of 2023. Again, crazy to ponder that, but last thing I wanted to talk about before wrapping it up with the social media segment, and that's the new rule changes, like I had alluded to prior, earlier on in the show, coming to Major League Baseball for 2024, as if we needed anything else. A couple of these, not so bad. And then... A couple of other ones, just I just don't see the purpose. <laughs> I don't at all. But here they are. So we have a handful of changes coming. The first one is a change in the pitch clock, which the pitch clock was a new concept only put into play last year, coming into 2023, something brand new that I was iffy about, and I still think it has its cons, but I think it also has its pros. So it's I'm whatever. I'm indifferent about it, I guess, at this point. They're changing it again. This is one of those where I just, I don't see the reason at all. I really don't. The pitch clock is being reduced from 20 seconds to 18 seconds. Why? (laughs) I mean, that's really the only question. Two seconds? Who the hell cares? 
I, I don't see the reason. I don't see the reason at all. Sorry. I, I really don't. Just, it's just completely pointless to me. So that's one rule change. I guess cutting off two seconds, whatever. Mound visits. They will be reduced from five to four per game. So only four mound visits per game now. I guess it's fine. I don't really, I don't really care. It's whatever. So that one I'm sort of indifferent about. It's again, don't really see too much of the need, but it's it's whatever. This one is probably the one that I actually don't have an issue with, and I I see the reason because there's a lot of it's a lot of discrepancy about this, and I'm glad it's actually being given a clear direction and one that makes sense to me. Honestly, I don't really mind it at all. The runners lane. It's going to be widened to include the dirt between the foul line and the infield grass. So if someone wants to round it out a bit more, then they won't be scrutinized for it. And you're going to have a little bit more leeway with the dirt now. Some people saying, oh, he was out of the baseline on his way down to first base. It's not going to affect the other bases, which is also a discrepancy with those bases as well. But this one in particular, there have been a lot of times where someone's just hauling ass down to first base and a lot of the reason why someone might be compelled to call someone out is oh they're out of the baseline they went too far from the line and even if they didn't really then certain umpires would be compelled to make their own calls and then fans would be up in arms about it and it'll just be so stupid the whole baseline crap so I actually think that expanding this is actually a good decision (laughs) I do gives them more leeway clears up the discrepancy and I like it I think there's actually a decent purpose for this so I don't have a problem with that at all. The final one, this one I, I don't get. <laughs> I don't understand. A pitcher warming up. A pitcher who's sent out to warm up for an inning must face at least one batter. That one, I, I don't understand the purpose for that. I mean, it's entirely possible that I'm just missing something here. Maybe I am. And if I am, please point it out to me. But I don't really understand what a pitcher warming up has to do with the length of a game or how it affects a game. They're just they're warming up. <laughs> I, I mean, tell me, am I missing something? A- am I dumb? Because by all means, if I am, then let me know. I, I'm I'm just missing it here. So I guess pitch clock and the pitcher warming up, I don't see the purpose at all. I think they're just shooting out rule changes just for the purpose of shooting out rule changes at this point. I, I just don't see the, the need at all. The mound visits, whatever, I guess if you want to do that, fine. It does take up some time, I guess. And the runner's lane, I actually don't mind that at all. I, I really don't. So I guess one out of four, 25%, I'm like, yeah, totally cool with that. And then two out of the four, 50%, mountain visit being like, uh, whatever. And the other two, I'm just like, I, I just don't see the need. <laughs> I just don't. So there's that. For better or for worse, those are your rule changes coming up in 2024, just so you could be ready for them and you did not see that on your own time. Well, you got me to let you know now. How lucky are you? That really just leaves, guys, for the rest of this episode, the social media segment. And I'm not going to waste any time giving my thoughts on it because in the whole pitcher discussion, I basically already did. So after giving the open-ended question that I had for you guys yesterday to answer for today, 
I'll just dive right into your replies. But quite simply put, what I was majorly discussing before when talking about the remaining pitching options, the open-ended question is, pitchers continue to come off the board. Yamamoto, Montas today, well, yesterday, etc. Going forward, who should the Yankees look into getting? I obviously gave my preferences, mine because of a realistic standpoint and talent standpoint and potential going forward standpoint, Bieber and Montgomery. Montgomery via signing, Bieber via trade, obviously. And I'm very curious to see what the rest of you also have to say about that. As I already said, Bieber, because of his upside, the fact that he's in a walk year, he's not due too much money in this final year of arbitration as well. And because of 2023 being a bit of a step down from, unfortunately, despite the prior years all being really, really good. As much as I'd like other guys like Corbin Burns and or Blake Snell as well, Shane Bieber is probably the most realistic one as far as a trade package is concerned. And also Montgomery, because I just think a reunion here would be really good. Don't have to worry about not knowing how to pitch in New York, not knowing what the environment's like. You're familiar with a lot of the guys already on the team, so on and so forth. I already gave my reasons. I just think those two would be a really good fit back here. But anyway, let's hear what you guys have to say. Let's hear your perspectives to end the show here. Last show of 2023. First up is at Little Gel. My friend Gel says Burns or Bieber via trade, but it's not going to be easy since the Yankees depleted their farm sum when trading for Soto. Yeah, it is true. They did deplete it a little bit. Gave away some prospects. Could have been worse, especially what the original asking price was for the package. But yeah, they did give away some solid arms and pitching depth stung a little bit. They also lost some pitching depth in the Rule 5 draft as well. So yeah, a little bit. But especially when it comes to Bieber, like I said, with the trade package that I think it would take for him, I don't think it would sting nearly as much as other options like Burns or Snell. So when you mentioned Burns, yeah, I think that'd be really tough considering the Yankees don't necessarily have as much to give as they did prior to the Soto trade. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life says, Happy New Year to you and your family, Mike, and happy early birthday. Thank you, Rebecca. Appreciate that. And that is right. My birthday is on January 3rd. So I was going to mention that later on, but since you already did, Rebecca, I'll tackle that now. Next time we talk on January the 14th, Unless something big happens in the next week, in which case I'll be back at you next Sunday the 7th, obviously, as per the off-season format. But regardless, even if it is next week, next week or the week after, by the next time we talk, I am going to be 27 years old. My 27th birthday, as many of you know, is on January the 3rd, this coming Wednesday. So I do appreciate the early birthday wish, Rebecca. Very much so. Thank you very much. I would like to see Montgomery and a trade for Shane Bieber. Snell, maybe, but he worries me because he doesn't go deep and walks a lot of batters. Listen, you got the same two as me, so that's good. Reunion with Montgomery and a trade for Shane Bieber, which I think is the most realistic of all the potential trade packages. I agree. Snell would definitely be an appeal, but yeah, I mentioned the high amount of walks. One batter off of walking a hundred of them last year, despite winning the Cy Young and having a good season otherwise. But yeah, sometimes he'll also, his pitch count will be elevated, he doesn't go too deep, but the walks are definitely a big concern for me because you just give too many opportunities for teams to put runs up on the board in that case. Just give them too many base runners and you have the wrong team to do that to and you're going to get hurt. So, I mean, obviously it didn't work out too badly for him because he still had the overall season he had despite all the free passes he gave up, but still it's not a trait that you really like. (laughs) So, I totally 
I totally see where you're coming from, and I agree with the two players you mentioned. And I, again, thank you for the Happy New Year wishes and the Happy Early Birthday wish. I appreciate it, Rebecca. At Frank Florida 7 says, Can't see any scenario right now, but they need one. Well, yeah, one of the ones we, we mentioned, or if there's even another one that's mentioned going forward, something's got to happen. Something's got to give with the pitching. They need help there. No doubt about that. The job's not done yet. There's still work to be done. Up next is at Yankee Ken saying, Sign old friend Jordan Montgomery. I always liked him. Also get Jordan Hicks for the bullpen. Yeah, some people have been mentioning that the Yankees have been in on Jordan Hicks. A lot of numbers that I keep on seeing thrown around is like three years, $30 million. It's fine, I guess. Jordan Hicks, we did talk about him a bit earlier on in the offseason. There are some of his numbers that are very desirable. Um, and, but there are also some numbers that aren't. And he does have very good stuff in his arsenal. He throws really hard. I like how his breaking stuff moves. His off-speed stuff is really good. So I do like certain aspects about him. If you were to get him for like three years, $30 million, it's not something that I would turn away from. I'd be fine with that. The name that I am very hesitant to really get on board with. Some people are saying the Yankees are in on him. Some people are saying they're not. Bit of conflicting reports, and there are some people saying they want nothing to do with him. I am a part of that crew. The man I'm speaking of is none other than Brewers' closer. Top bullpen arm in the game. One of the top ones, Josh Hader. Now, I want nothing to do with Josh Hader, and I'll tell you why. Not that I don't think he's good. He is terrific, as a matter of fact. He's a very unique talent in the game of baseball. Like I said, a top arm out of the bullpen in all of baseball. No doubt about that. Even with his iffy season in 2022 when he was dealt at the trade deadline to San Diego, which is where he is now, after spending many years since 2017 prior to that with the Milwaukee Brewers. Still a top arm in the game. Even came into 61 games in 2023 with the Padres and pitched to a 128 ERA. And 56 and a third innings pitched in that time struck out 85 guys. This is a unique talent. No doubt about that. But I'm hearing deals in the range of like five years, around $100 million, which would be anywhere around $20 million a year. Now, if you recall, in recent history, the Yankees have had very bad luck with signing high-priced bullpen arms. Lots of guys that come to mind are Rollis Chapman, Zach Britton, guys who had their good moments with the Yankees, but overall ended up either being highly injured in the case of Zach Britton, or a lot of the rest of the time being utter train wrecks like a Rollis Chapman. And these are guys that costed a lot of money. And I, for one, fundamentally do not believe in overpaying for relief pitching. I do not believe in that fundamentally, even if the talent is as elite as Josh Hader is. So for that reason, I'm not willing to, especially when the Yankees are looking to allocate money to many other areas of need going forward, I do not believe that they need to burden themselves by spending over $20 million a year on a closer. Do I think that they could afford to have a legitimate closer? Yeah, but I think there are already arms in the bullpen currently who could fill that role. I really do. I don't think spending over $20 million for Josh Hader is necessary. I'd rather see some of that money go to either for extending Soto or to really bolster up the rotation like it needs to, the starting rotation. There are just many other areas in which I feel that money could go to. Even with lower-level relief pitchers, still plenty respectable arms that would cost significantly less.
So I just don't think it's necessary to bark up that tree, honestly. I really, really don't. But someone like Jordan Hicks, who you could get for cheaper, even though he's not as talented but has great stuff, I'd be willing to add an arm like that. I would be. But I know there are a lot of people who don't care for the money because the New York Yankees just say, oh, I'll spend all of it no matter where regardless. But that's just not going to happen. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. But yeah, Yankee Ken, I definitely agree with re-signing Jordan Montgomery. Don't have a problem there. And I would sign Jordan Hicks if it came down to it. At 7 Trivia says, I wish for Burns, if not Monty. Yeah, as much as I would like Burns and or Snell, I just I don't see it lining up well for the Yankees as far as a potential trade package. I just don't. So I don't see it happening. And if not Monty, I definitely listen, you know I'm for Monty, so. At Cashman Sucks NYY, the return of my favorite handle, saying Snell, Montgomery, or trade for Shane Bieber. Alright, so everybody's got Montgomery on their radar. I like that. I thought I was gonna get some flack for that, but it actually seems like some people are in agreement with me. At Talking Rivals says Montgomery. There's another one. He's proven he can pitch in New York and in the postseason, something not every pitcher out there can offer. There you go. Proven talent in New York, that's definitely a big reason, and definitely spitting in the face of the Yankees to a degree when they were saying that he really wasn't a part of their postseason plans, and obviously we saw what he just did with Texas. So yes, absolutely. Can't debate those facts. At Christian underscore NYYST says Steve Nebraska. <laughs> All right, I think that's worthy of a laughing sound effect. There you go. <laughs> Steve Nebraska. That's funny, Christian. That was a good one. At MVP Soto 22 says Bieber and Monty. That's what I said. There you go. At C Musky 4213 says grab Blake Snell and Hater and call it a day. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not in line with that. Blake, I just, I don't think a trade package could be put together that would be realistic and not de- detrimental to the Yankees' depth. And Hader, I'm just, I don't know, I'm, I'm just opposed to signing relievers to that much money and those big of contracts. I'm just, I think I've learned my lesson with that as a Yankee fan. <laughs> but, yeah, listen, I'm not saying I wouldn't like either of them, but for Hader's money and length of the deal and, and for Blake Snell, what it would take in the trade package... I just don't think it's very realistic. Let's see here. At DB Yankees 1 says, Unpopular opinion, but I think Stroman would perform well in the Bronx. I'd make an offer. I'm staying far away from Marcus Stroman. I want literally nothing to do with him. He's a complete clubhouse cancer. He is as soft as a baby's ass, pretty much. And, yeah, he's had a respectable career up to this point, but... I mean, last couple of years, if numbers have only been going up, and not in the good way up. I mean, he hasn't even had as many starts as he's had in years past. Like, in 2021 with the Mets, he had 33 starts, which is solid. That's basically an entire year's worth of pitching. And then in 2020, he obviously didn't play at all. He opted out for the COVID pandemic. And then 2019, he had 32 starts. And more often than not, he's had a lot of starts in each year, basically making all of them. But the last couple of years... 2022 he had 25 and then in 2023 he had 25 as well appearing in 27 so he didn't even start all the games and his ERA was 395 in 2023 395 and 350 in 2022 I don't know 
hasn't eaten up a lot of innings in the last couple of years. 138 innings in 2022, 136 in 2023. Doesn't strike out a lot of people as opposed to the, in comparison to the innings pitched. And I'm not too big a fan of his stuff either. I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying he's a bad pitcher because Marcus Stroman is not a bad pitcher. But there are others out there who I think have much better upside and who I'd believe in a lot more to be a solid talent here and who aren't complete clubhouse cancers and just completely toxic people to be around. Uh, yeah, that's basically how I feel about that. Because it also, there's more to it than also just on the field. And I just don't think the Yankees need the drama and the controversy that surrounds Marcus Stroman almost all the time. Him having his freaking social media meltdowns. and just, I want nothing to do with him. Nothing. At Bart Akosella 1, I hope I said that right, Bart. Sorry if I botched your last name there. But Bart says, I'd like to see them get Bieber, Cease, or Burns, provided the cost isn't too, too steep. Failing that, I think we've got to make a hard push for Monty. Bieber's the most likely of those three. Probably Bieber, Cease, and then Burns, from most likely to least likely, if I had to say. The cost would be least steep for Bieber, I would think. And yeah, making a push for Monty, I think that is definitely necessary as well. (laughs) Oh my god, this next Twitter handle is an entire mood. Oh my god. At GoFYourself452. I, this might be my favorite handle of all time. They say, I'd keep an eye on the Mariners. They need to shred salary. (laughs) I can't get past the at handle. I can't. That's funny. But yeah, who would you have them get on the Mariners though? Like Robbie Ray, Luis Castillo. There are a few pitching options there. But who would you have them get? Might be a pretty steep price. But interesting, an eye on the Mariners. Maybe maybe one of those names will surface in the next week or two. Who knows? Maybe. We never know. All right, I'm just do a couple more now because we're at the hour and a half time, give or take, a little bit past it. So get ready to wrap up here. Usual final two as per usual. First up is my girlfriend at Vic Salimo, and she says, I think they should be willing to have a reunion with Jordan Montgomery. He already knows what it takes to pitch here. He was pretty solid and consistent here, and I think his return would be a good fit in the rotation. That's good points. I I agree. All things I mentioned. Montgomery was very consistent here, that's for sure, and positively so. I mean, if you look at his years on the Yankees, really, it's give or take around the same thing, more or less. 2020, I don't really count because it was, you know, the shortened season. I, I can only put so much legitimacy into that. 2021, 383 RA. 2022, 348. 2023, 320. So you could actually argue that it's, his ERA's been going down lately, so that's really good. It always really seemed to just hover in the mid-threes, give or take. And that's really where he's at. 368 in his career. So, mid to... High threes, I suppose. It's not a top-of-the-rotation piece, but he'd be a good three or four in this Yankee rotation, I think. Probably a four. If they were to get a Shane Bieber, too, probably be a solid four piece, like I said before, what my rotation would probably be in the case of them getting them both. But, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Last year, he had a really solid season, especially after he was traded to Texas in 11 starts, 279 ERA, and then he did what he did in the playoffs. 
And he has some playoff experience even here as well with the Yankees. So, like a few replies ago also said, that's those aren't real qualities you could find in just anybody around the league. So, all good points, though. And there was also that time where he really just was a victim of having no run support with the Yankees, where almost every time out it seemed like he would go at least five, six innings and allow three runs or less, and that's that's a guy you want in your rotation. That's really what you want. That was happening a lot in 2021, 2022. An awful lot. So, I definitely can't blame everyone for saying Montgomery, because I, I agree. Last but certainly not least, as always, to finish off 2023 is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero. And she says, it's nice to have you back to end off the 2023 year, Mike. Eh, thank you, Mom. This is a good way to end, unlike the atrocity that was the 2023 baseball season. <laughs> Amen to that. Well, to answer your question, I'm not too good on knowing all the prospects and the scenarios out there that could play out, but I do know two things. No matter what good moves we've made thus far, and we have, if we don't have enough good pitching, we still can't win a thing. And two, if Jordan Montgomery's still out there, get him back. He did very well right after we let him go, and he was also solid when he was here. We must keep acquiring good pitchers. It is a must. Let's see what happens. Let's hope something good happens. Thanks, Mike. Happy New Year. Meet you in the family room for the most low-key New Year's celebration ever, then for your birthday this Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, we really don't do a lot for New Year's Eve, and we pride ourselves on that. I hate going to parties. I don't know how many of you know this about me, but I hate parties. I hate big crowds, and I just don't really like to leave my house all that much if I'm not going to work or going... I don't know. I don't really. I have a. I have a home gym, so I don't really go to the gym externally outside of my house to go train. But if it's not for a reason like that, or maybe to just go hang out with a friend every now and again, I do not like to go out very much. <laughs> so I keep everything very low key. I'm just that guy who you could just sit there and just talk to for hours on end and just have the hours fly on by. That's the kind of time that you'll have with me. Just very similarly to this show, you sit here. Listening to me yap my ass off for an hour plus every week. <laughs> so, similarly to this, just think of it that way. But yeah, we still have great celebrations here, even though it's very low-key. It's what I pride myself on. I love that. Not big on the big party scene and big crowds. I hate that crap. Not big on it. But yes, thank you, Mom, you as well. Look forward to spending the night with you as always, as I will with my girlfriend Victoria and my brother and my mom's boyfriend and all that. Good stuff. Good stuff, and all the phone calls flowing in at midnight. Kind of a pain in the ass, but hey, it's a part of the night. What are you going to do? And then for my birthday on Wednesday, I can't wait. I, I love my birthday. <laughs> I love where it is on the calendar because it's like Christmas, New Year's, birthday, all within like a week and a half. Boom, boom, boom. It's exciting stuff. And also guilty as charged, I also like all the attention that a birthday gives to a person. It's just a lot of fun. It's, it's like your day. It's fun. Everyone deserves to have that at least once a year, I feel like, so. I'm excited for it. And yeah, mom, about your points and your reply. Should get to that probably. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, they've done some good moves so far. Some good low-key moves. Obviously, the Juan Soto move is the biggest splash so far. Pitching's not done yet, though. There's work to be done. And Montgomery is definitely one that they should look into returning. I agree. Full agree. Good replies, as always, guys, to finish off the year. What else can I say? There are some that I couldn't get to, as per usual, but I do my best every week, guys. Just keep on replying if I don't get to you. 
You know, I appreciate it to the ends of the earth, as I do each and every one of you. And that leads me into saying thank you all so, so much. Like I said at the end of the season, I'm going to say the same thing now. Thank you all to the ends of the earth for all of your support for another great year of Yapping Yankees. I thought 2023, despite all the suffering we had to go through, I thought 2023 for Yapping Yankees still kicked ass like every year before it. And I could not be thankful enough to each and every one of you who have been along for the ride throughout the entire year, or maybe since last year, the year before that, the year before that, or since the beginning, regardless of when it was that you hopped on the Yapping Yankees train, you know that I appreciate you so, so much. I really, really do. I love each and every one of you for the constant support, interaction, love that you show every week, even if you're just an occasional listener. Like I always say, especially with people's attention spans in 2023, heading into 2024, you spending more than a second of your time with me already means the world to me. I truly mean that. And for another year, another kick-ass year, of Yapping Yankees, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for sticking with me and going along for this awesome ride, this ongoing ride that is the Yapping Yankees podcast that I started four and a half years ago and 206 episodes ago now. It has really been incredible, guys, and I hope for another great year coming up in 2024 for this podcast and for each and every one of you out there. And with that being said, that is all for episode 206 of Yapping Yankees, my friends. Be sure, if you don't already, to follow me on all social medias, Facebook fan page, at Mike Scudero NY. My Twitter, or X, is at Mike Scudero. And my Instagram is MikeScuds97. Please also remember to subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it is available on. That would be YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And be sure to show your love across all four like you all always do such a terrific job at doing, my friends. And if you've missed any past Yapping Yankees episodes, do not fret. Episodes 34 all the way up to episode 206 today, well, those are all available on YouTube. And if you want to go all the way back to the beginning, anytime before episode 34, well, episode 1, four and a half years ago, all the way up to today's episode 206, those are all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. But once again, and for the final time of 2023, I thank you 3,000 for listening to me yap today, my friends. As always, I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you in two Sundays, unless something big happens this week, in which case it'll be next Sunday the 7th, but otherwise, I will talk to you in two Sundays, January 14th, when I come at you with the 207th episode of Yapping Yankees. But until then, guys, as always, hang in there, be patient, stay safe, look out for your loved ones, go ahead and kick life's ass this week, my friends, in the first week of 2024. And like I said before, everybody, please have a happy and safe New Year celebrating tonight and probably being exhausted and not doing anything all day tomorrow. I know that's probably what I'll be doing probably just hanging around, playing video games, doing my thing before returning to work on Tuesday. And for you, that probably leaves a very good opportunity to listen to Yapping Yankees whenever you want tomorrow. But the celebrating doesn't stop for me because, again, my birthday is right after that on the 3rd, and I'll also be celebrating it next weekend since that's really when the celebration will kick in because my birthday is unfortunately on a Wednesday right in the middle of the week. 
But regardless, excited for it in any event. Doesn't matter. Still so thrilled for it. But let's see what happens in the baseball world between now and the 14th. If it's something within this, this next week that's massive and worth doing an episode for next Sunday, I'll be back at you then. Otherwise, we'll see what the baseball world has to offer in the next two weeks. And in the meantime, again, happy and safe new year to each and every one of you out there, guys. I love all of you so, so much. Thank you again for another amazing year of Yapping Yankees. Until 2024, take care and let's go Yanks. Yanks.